Hey, men of Harvest, this is Ryan. Thanks for joining us for another episode on the Valor Men's Podcast. In this episode, uh, we'll be finishing our study in Malachi. And so before we get to our passage, I want to share a, a personal fear with you. And some of you might be thinking, oh my gosh, what is he going to say? I, I struggle with fear of public speaking. And so as a young kid, I remember being terrified to speak or do anything uh, that required me to stand in front of people or crowds. It was so bad that in school, I even ditched class to avoid the stressfulness of having uh, everyone stare at me. And I did this multiple times in my Spanish class. Fun fact, um, my wife is a Spanish teacher and she quizzes me all the time in public and it's funny. However, later on in life, after the Lord saved me, people in the church started to ask me to share God's word, which I, I was freaking out. Uh, my hands would become cold and sweaty. My mouth would dry up quickly. And suddenly I felt like speaking English uh, was a foreign language to me. However, I stepped in uh, to these speaking arrangements with confidence because I started to realize that these were uh, actually, this was God calling me to be a witness of his grace. And so I knew that God was going to be the one who strengthened me and prepared me for these moments. And so here I am today, uh, still terrified to be in front of people, but confident uh, in God's grace to be able to fulfill his calling in my life. And so interesting as that is, I, I do know that the phobia of public speaking is a great anxiety for a lot of people today. Studies have shown the fear of public speaking is one of the greatest in the world. And so some of you probably can relate to this kind of level of fear. Yet the reality of fear itself is an emotional state that all of us deal with at some point. Some fear death or losing a loved one. Some fear failing in life or not living to others' expectations. And so unfortunately, the emotion of fear can have more control over us, over our lives than we like to admit. Fear can hinder us from even living a life according to God's will. But the Bible talks about a good type of fear, another type of fear, a fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This type of fear is not like that of public speaking or that of being terrified of spiders. No, this kind of fear is said to be a continual, humble, and faithful submission to the Lord. It's a fear that causes a believer to despise and turn away from evil and to be in awe of God's glory, goodness, and godness. It is a holy fear that brings us to the heart of worship, where we find ourselves in the presence of God, who has the power to destroy both the body and the soul. This godly fear is not only found within the book of Proverbs, but it's a constant theme throughout the whole Bible. In fact, in the book of Malachi, the Lord spoke through the prophet concerning the people's lack of fear. In chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord said, As a son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Here the Lord confronts both his priests and his people concerning their lack of reverence and worship. The scriptures tell us that they despised his name by giving unworthy offerings, polluted food at the altar because they did not fear him as they should. Their lack of honor caused his reputation and glory to be diminished among the nations. 
Again, in verse 14, he says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Therefore, God rebukes the people of their sin, and then he reminds them of his worthiness, that he is like a father who has made a loving covenant with them. He says to the priests in chapter 2 that if they do not take his word to heart by restoring rightful worship, he will send a curse upon them as a means of safeguarding his covenant with Levi. A covenant, he says in verse 5, is one of life and peace, a covenant of fear. For Levi stood in awe of the name of the Lord, and he had true instruction in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with God in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. See, Israel's priest failed at keeping Levi's covenant by disobeying the way of the Lord, confusing the people, disregarding his promises, and by showing favoritism. And because of this, God makes a promise through his messenger that he will bring vindication and reconciliation by purifying Israel's leadership and by setting apart those who have true fear of him. Malachi 3.3 says, He, the Lord, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Following this, in verse 13, God brings his charge against those who do not revere him. They are people who have wandered. Their service to God has been distorted by the way they view his character. They said, why should we serve or worship the Lord when evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to test and they escape? And this led them to believe serving the Lord is vain and is useless. It appears that these are the people that serve God for only what he will do for them. And as as some commentators had called and said, this is the fault line of humanity. Those who serve God and those who serve themselves. Now, we see this played out in different stories in the Bible. Malachi actually mentions one specifically here in the book, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We not only see these motives in comparison to Jacob and Esau, but we also see it within the church. People doing the right thing with the wrong motive. Of course, they check the box of attending church and even volunteering, yet their hearts are far from having a true fear of the Lord. What tends to happen in these situations is when God doesn't bless them with health, wealth, or prosperity, they say, what's the use of serving God? Now, years ago, I was in a conversation with a Christian brother who was going through a hard time with his wife and family. Basically, his wife left him and she wouldn't let him see his kids. Now, he was a good guy who served at the church, multiple ministries, yet he couldn't understand why God would allow these things to happen since he served him so faithfully. He ended up giving up and then going back into the world for a time. This guy had an interesting idea of God's justice and character. He believed that if you did good, then God would do good to you. But if you did bad, God would surely punish you immediately. It's kind of like the idea of reaping and sowing. However, God doesn't always work that way, does he? At times, the righteous will suffer and the wicked will prosper. Regardless of our situation and circumstances, God calls us to continue to serve and worship him. For he says justice will be served ultimately. 
Psalm 73, 16 through 17 says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. The psalmist here is reminded that God will judge those who reject to worship him. So though the wicked seem to get away in the moment, judgment will never be escaped. God makes this reality known to the faithless generation of Israel. Yet at the same time, he will hold true to his promise, knowing there is a faithful remnant who does and who will revere the Lord. Malachi 3 verse 16 says, Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. The scriptures here do not tell us specifics of what was being said with those who feared the Lord. Yet something that is noteworthy is the difference in attitude when comparing the two, the righteous and the wicked. These people, the righteous, did not rebel in the thinking towards God as the first did, but they honored the Lord. The word fear here in the original language can mean to show respect. And so they responded in a healthy reverence before the Lord, which affected both their attitude and action. Again, we might not know the specifics of what was said, but what we can assume as they spoke of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his kindness, and his promises. They must have proclaimed these things among themselves and before God, and guess what? God heard their worship, and they remembered, and he remembered them. It says that God recorded this account in the book of remembrance because for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name, so that on the day of judgment, His people could be remembered and be rewarded. As a result, in verse 17, God gives two promises to his people that they will be a treasured possession and he will show them mercy. The God of the universe says to his people, then and now you are my treasured possession. This naming of God's people is significant because it reveals the Lord's special relationship with those who fear his name, for they are truly his faithful remnant and true worshipers of him. For God has a special compassion for those who truly revere him. We as followers of Jesus need to hear these words repeatedly that in Christ, we are his. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. The apostle Peter writes this, that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These words tell us that God has secured us forever in his son Jesus. Therefore, though the day of judgment is coming, where all those who have rebelled against the Lord will be condemned for their sin and pride and lack of reverence, the Lord says to his righteous remnant in Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What this means for us today is that there is a day when we will rejoice in final victory. A day when another prophet in the spirit of Elijah will have prepared the way of the Lord in his second coming. When Jesus comes as a judge to condemn the world of its sin and to save his people once and for all. With that said, the church needs to anticipate his advent joyfully and fearfully. 
See, the people of Israel long for the Messiah's coming, yet they failed to see that the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor was also a day of judgment. And when Jesus arrived the first time, they did not receive him because of his woes to the arrogant righteous who did not fear his name. Let us then understand that his second coming will be one of both blessing and cursing, that those who truly revere the Lord and worship him wholeheartedly will be saved, for their names are written in the book of life. And when the Son of Righteousness appears, all wrongs will be made right, and God will restore all that was lost in the garden, and every sin and tear will be wiped away. In closing, as Christmas approaches, and it is right around the corner, let us remember Jesus' first coming. When John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, bearing witness about the light that had come. According to John's gospel, Jesus was the true light that came into the world, exposing darkness and giving life to those who believed in his name. Jesus declared to all in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. By claiming this, Jesus is essentially saying that apart from him, no one will ever be able to know truth or even come to the knowledge of the Father. Moreover, in the Son of Righteousness, who is Jesus, we have a future hope. For in the end, Jesus promises that those who believe will never die, but will rise and live with him forever. Therefore, let us be prepared people who cling to the promises of God and lovingly obey his word, revering his name to the end. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word in Malachi. We count it as a blessing And Lord, as we prepare our hearts for this season of Advent, would we look back at Jesus' first coming, but also know that he promised a second coming. And so help us, Lord. Help us be prepared people who cling to your promises and lovingly obey your word, revering you in worship to the end. We thank you. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in for this episode. And until next time, may the Lord of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.